Amen. Hey, fun games, bowling. Don, you like games? Just shake your head. Yes, you're doing good. That's right. That's right. Uh, how many of you guys ever played that game? Uh, 20 questions. Okay, a couple of you, that's right, 20 questions, and it's a game where they share some facts and information about somebody, you got to guess who it is, right? Well, hey, we're always in a hurry, at least I am around here, so we ain't got time for 20 questions, we're going to play 10 questions, okay, 10 questions, okay, and uh, we're going to take a look, I'm going to share, I'm not going to tell you who it is, but I'm going to share some facts and figures, and as they add up, see if you can guess who this person is, okay, and these are all true facts, unfortunately, this person has no biblical or theological training, yet addresses a congregation of 12,000 every week. How'd you get in that position, right? Uh, his so-called ministry takes in over $100 million per year, which allows him to maintain a $3.5 million home, spend $8,000 on airline fares, and stay in a 2,000 a night hotel rooms. One of them, I think, was upwards of 10000 plus a night. Okay, was spent on that as well. He prophesied uh, that uh, Fidel Castro would die in the 1990s. Er, that didn't happen. He prophesied that God would destroy the homosexual community in America by fire in 1994-95. Obviously, that didn't happen. He prophesied that the leader of Syria would make a peace treaty with Israel in 2000. But when the leader died, he later said, well, it was not God's plan after all. Uh, first of all, as we've been seeing on the Wednesday nights, when you read the Bible, which is a great thing to do, by the way, if you're a Christian especially, uh, when you see when somebody claims to be a prophet of God, the book of Deuteronomy says what? And they get one thing wrong, what do you do? You stone them, you kill them. This person better be very glad that they're not under the old covenant. Okay, but anyway, let's, let's continue on. He, he says that Jesus is physically appearing to the Muslims right now. Wait a second. Jesus ain't going to physically come back to the planet until the second coming at the end of the seven-year tribulation. And which don't confuse that with the rapture. The rapture, we go meet with him. The next time he's physically on the planet, that ain't until, whoop, man, you got that one wrong. Oh, then he said Jesus would uh, physically appear in Nairobi, Kenya. Uh, and then he said Jesus would physically appear at one of, of course, his meetings, uh, possibly Nashville. Maybe he's going to play guitar. I don't know. But uh, anyway, that's what he actually said. And he said that Adam could, I kid you not, fly like a bird, swim underwater like a fish, and even transport himself to the moon. In case you guys are wondering. And finally, the so-called Christian minister said to those who dared to criticize him for his false teachings, I've looked for one verse in the Bible. I, I, I just can't seem to find it. One verse that said, if you don't like him, kill him. I wish that God would give me a Holy Ghost machine gun and I'll blow your head off. Now, who's this person? Boy, you guys know it too well. You must be coming to the Wednesday night studies. Charismatic chaos, the untold history of the charismatic movement. Wow, but seriously, are you, did this guy really say he wished he had a Holy Ghost machine gun and he would blow people's heads off? Yeah, let me share that clip with you real quick. You wonderful people of God, quit attacking men of God by name. Somebody's attacking me because of something I'm teaching. Let me tell you something, brother. You watch it. You're God in heaven. I wish I can just... Oof. They call it a minister in my foot. You know, I've looked for one verse in the Bible. I just can't seem to find it. One verse that said, if you don't like him, kill him. I really wish I could find it. <laughs> but don't mention people's names on your radio program and your TV program, thinking you're doing God's service. You're not. You stink, frankly. That's the way I think about it. Sometimes I wish God would give me a Holy Ghost machine gun. I'll blow your head off. Wow. Straight from the horse's mouth. 
Oh, and by the way, another thing we've been uh, kicking around on Wednesday night studies, uh, is it wrong to name people from the pulpit and call them out? Absolutely not. Read your Bible. Again, what a concept. We're starting to see a pattern here. Uh, the Bible says that Paul called out Philetus, Hymenaeus, Alexander, John called out Diotrephes, and Jesus uh, called out the Pharisees in public, Matthew chapter 23, and had some very choice words for them. Okay? Uh, we are called to call people out even by names if they're leading people astray. But here's my whole point with that. That's kind of a side issue. Uh, how many guys would say that that so-called Christian, that so-called Christian evangelist, that so-called Christian claiming to be a prophet is probably not the very best representation of Christianity on the planet right now? Okay? Yeah. In fact, it's a horrible one. But believe it or not, folks, did you know there's an even worse representation of the church than that? Oh, you know where I'm going. And get this, folks. It's not just being done by one man. It's being, listened done by millions of Christians all over the world all at the same time. And can you guess who it is? It's when Christians walk around in life acting like you're suffering from practical amnesia. That's what it is. I mean, we say we know who we are as the church. Of course, we, we, I mean, who, who, who doesn't know who they are? But let's be honest. Half the times with our lips and our lives, we're given a different impression. We act like we don't even know who we are as the church of Jesus Christ. We've been seeing that ain't just detrimental in our walk with Christ. That keeps people from coming to Christ. It's a rotten, horrible witness. And so to avoid this atrocity of you and I as Christians living like these uh, practical uh, amnesia people, not knowing who we are, we're going to continue our study from the word of God on the people of God entitled The Character of Guess Who? The Church. Again, this is the sequel to our other large study, The Character of God. Now we're taking a look at the character of you and I, the church. Now we've already seen in our study, the first thing we've got to remind ourselves about the church, if we're going to stop acting like we got practical amnesia, is that we're the body of Christ, right? We're not a building and we don't belong to us. We belong to Jesus, right? But then we saw last time, the second thing is the church is what? We're also called to be a body of one, okay? And there we saw that even though the Bible says we're already unified in Jesus Christ, okay, that we're all one in him. Isn't that awesome? That neither Jew nor female nor slave nor free nor uh, anybody can come to Christ and we're all made one in him. That's what the Bible says. The problem is the American church, we're acting like not a body of one. We're acting like we're divided in Christ, and the reason why is because we're given into favoritism, elitism, and believe it or not, even into racism. And the issue isn't, hey, well, that's just too bad. You guys aren't being a body of one. No, we saw what are the impression we give people when they come into our midst. And not just when they come to services, when we're out there in the world and we're supposed to witness. What, what kind of a body? Are, we're acting like a body of snobs, bigots, and racists. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of thinking that's not the church that Jesus Christ died for. Sounds like somebody's suffering from practical amnesia. And we need to get back on track. Amen? Okay? But I'm still preaching on this, so guess what? That's right, Bob. There's got to be more, and there is. The third thing we need to know about the church, if we're going to get rid of this practical amnesia, is we're also supposed to be a body of hope. People should look at you and I and go like, wow, man, you got troubles just like me, but what's, what's different? What, what's going on with you? How come you're always so full of hope? Can I have what you have? Now, again... Don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God. We should have so much hope that we are literally, the scripture says, overflowing with it, bubbling with it all over the place, man, right? And, and, and that's a powerful witness, I'm telling you, to the lost because they're going through troubles just like you and I. But how we react to it with hope, okay, is a huge witness. But let's take a look. Romans 15, verses 8 through 13. And we're going to take a look at the reason why Paul talks about that obviously the gospel is not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles. And who's the Gentile? 
Anybody that's not a Jew. So that would be the rest of us. Okay. So basically here's why we should be so incredibly excited. Here's a fantastic side effect of being saved and why we should be praising God for what he's done for us. And this is what Paul hones in on here. Romans uh, chapter 15 verses eight. Here's what he says through 13. He says this, for I tell you that it, uh, Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarch so that not just the Jews, but who? The Gentiles, you and I, may also glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the who? The Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. And again, it says, rejoice, O who? Gentiles, with his people, the Jewish people. And again, praise the Lord, all you who? Gentiles and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, the one who will rise to rule over the nations, and the who? The Gentiles will what? Hope in him. May, in fact, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Why? So that you may, listen, not just have hope, but you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you may be seated if you can. But this is a powerful text, folks, that we see here that Paul is reminding us. Praise, is anybody glad that the gospel, the good news about being saved, being rescued from eternal damnation hell, isn't just for the Jewish people? Yeah, because if it was, turn to somebody and say, you're in trouble. <laughs> okay, right? But praise God. And that was what he's bringing up prophecies. That, listen, it isn't just the Jews. It's going to be for anybody. Anybody can come to God and praise him for his mercy. And then he tells us some interesting things about that. One of the benefits of getting saved is not just being filled. Notice the other side effects there. It's not just being filled with the joy of God. Right? I love what Peter says there. He says, even though you haven't seen him, you what? You love him. Why? Because of what he's done. In spite of us, in spite of me, in spite of all the sins, no matter what we've done, where we've done, whatever our background is, he has saved you 100% completely in Christ. Last time I checked, woohoo! that's kind of joyful, right? And you're excited and you love him. I can't believe it. That's amazing. So he says, I feel you not only when you get saved with joy, the second thing there, he says, he gives you peace. Romans chapter five says that we have right now through Jesus Christ, we got peace with God. Did you know that God is no longer at war with you? Now, before we got saved, the scripture says we were under his wrath. But we've been rescued from his wrath. We are not appointed unto his wrath. We've been saved from his wrath. And God is no longer, if you will, at war with us. We're at peace with God. Oh, isn't that awesome? But then he throws in this third thing that I want to hone in on. He says, we get filled with what? The hope of God. And don't take that for granted. That's a powerful witness. Yes, it's good to be, and we'll get to this Lord willing later in our study. It's good to be a good advertisement for Jesus. You know, kind of like, joyful kind of you know excited being saved what a concept believe it or not that's a good advertisement and you don't have to fake it when you get back down to hey i've been saved from hell you got to pay somebody to slap that smile off your face but we forget that but that's another study right and, and in peace man you guys man your house is on but you're at peace and right in the greek it literally means like a like a somebody shot you with a horse tranquilizer i mean and well not acting it's a good witness that might freak people out but but being at peace a supernatural peace that's a powerful witness but he says here so is hope now folks i don't know if you know or not but our world is not just hopeless it is getting worse and worse and there's it's it's the missing element but but contrast that to you and i it just says, it didn't just say, I'm going to fill you with the hope of God, right? Notice what he says. It ain't just a little bit of hope, 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to give you so much hope, you're overflowing with it. I mean, what's the concept there? You got so much hope, man, it's just bubbling over. You got hope to spare. You got hope to give away. It's just, look at you, it's just oozing out all over you. Not just joy, not just peace, but man, look at those people. They are so filled of hope. And so here's my whole point. I mean, that's clear in the text. Did we have to break, in, to break into the, the, the secret hidden Greek to figure this out? Was there some secret Bible code that we had to decipher in order? To, no, it's plain in the scripture, right? The Christians, we are supposed to be the most hopeful people on the planet, right? A body of hope where people look at you and I, whether it's coming here or wherever we go in this world, they look at you and I and they say, look at those people. I mean, they got problems just like me, man. But look at them when they, they're a group of people. They never get discouraged. They're never down in their mouth. They're always optimistic. They just, they're just, they just so full of hope. Look, can, can I have that? Now, surely we know that, right? Well, once again, stop calling me Shirley, but unfortunately, you would think so, but we got some problems. I mean, folks, you look at most churches today, it doesn't look like we're an optimistic people bubbling with hope. It looks like we are a pack of pessimists dangling from a rope and crying just like the rest of this world. We look just as hopeless when we're supposed to not just be hopeful, but so much is bubbling over. So my question is, why has this happened to us? How did we get off track? Well, Mary, thanks for asking. It works well with my notes. Uh, the first reason why we look so hopeless when we should be so hopeful is frankly, we've forgotten, folks, we've been given a stable life that no matter what we go through in life, Jesus Christ is steering the ship and he knows exactly what he's doing. And not just in the good times, but even the challenging times, God has promised that he's doing something fantastic. And in that, it gives you hope. But we've forgotten that. But let's take a look at that reminder there. Also from Romans chapter five. Let's take a look at that. Paul says this, uh, verse one and three and four. By faith, we've been made acceptable to God. Isn't that awesome? God accepts me now. God accepts you. He's not going to reject you. That's awesome. And now, because of our Lord Jesus Christ, we what? We live at peace with God. There it is again. So God accepts me. He's not at war with me. I'm at peace with God. This just keeps getting better. We'll keep watching. But that's not all. (laughs) Here's some more icing on the cake. We gladly, who said that? Paul had it going, man. He had a great, why do you, did he get hit in the head with the chariot wheel? Why do you throw in the word suffer there, man? He had it going. What's it going? Or maybe he's trying to remind us of something that we've long forgotten. He said, we gladly suffer. Why? Because we know that, guess what? It's not for nothing. Did you realize that God is not up in heaven going, ha, 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 let me see how much I can squeeze on him now. That's not our God. He's so powerful, he can recycle everything we go through and do something fantastic out of it. And that's what Paul is saying, man. You think it just being accepted is cool? That's awesome. You think having peace with God, no longer war with him is awesome? Yes, that is. But guess what? Even in your challenges, we know that suffering helps us to what? endure right and then endurance what's it do it builds your character and then when your character gets built up what happens it gives you a what a hope that will what never disappoint us in other words whatever you go through in life this side of heaven which by the way he does not promise us heaven heaven comes later heaven is not here on earth but no matter what you go through in life god will give you hope a hope that will never disappoint that is awesome Paul says one of the most incredible things that God gives us after we're saved is not just being accepted and adopted into his forever family. We not only have peace with God, but in the midst of our problems, in the midst of it, God has orchestrated a way that in the midst of those challenges, we always are filled with hope. And not just any hope, but a hope that doesn't disappoint us. 
Why doesn't it disappoint us? Because our hope is not in us. Our hope is not in our circumstances. Our hope is not in this wicked world system. Our hope is not in things. Our hope is not in our ability to so-called control our lives. Because you can't. The reason why it never disappoints is because our hope is in God. And since God never changes, that hope, what? Never disappoints. Because God is always on the throne. Hope in God, listen, gives us the ability to have stability in all our difficulties. I'll say that again. Hope in God gives us the ability to have stability in all our difficulties. Now, isn't that awesome? I mean, yeah, we got peace with God. We got joy with God. He accepts us. And then even before we get to heaven, when he says, guess what? You're going to have hard times. You're going to have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. In the midst of that, I'm always going to give you hope. Now, that's just amazing. Surely we know that. It just keeps getting better. More and more that you read the Bible. What a concept. It just keeps getting better. So surely we know this, right? We know that no matter what we go through in life, man, there's no reason for anybody to see you and I down in the mouth, disappointed and hopeless. Well, you think so, but folks, you've been there. You go in the average church service today, and what do you see? You don't see Christians enduring through difficulties, coming out mighty and strong. Woohoo! Are you kidding me? Looks like they just lost their house and somebody ran over their dog. <laughs> And then they get together the next week, and what do you see? <laughs> right? Oh, you go to work, and what's your attitude? <laughs> Monday morning's a classic example. You get there and say, wow, wow, man. I'm just, God saved me. I'm full of his peace and joy. And I don't care what I go through in life, man. Heaven comes later, but even in my difficulties, God's doing something fantastic. Oh, no. Uh, did, um, did you hear what went on the week in the economy? The economy's down and bad and the weather. And then somebody, somebody cut me off. With the, we listen, we just like the world. We act hopeless. We speak hopeless. And then you wonder why nobody wants to come to Christ. Oh yeah, why should I? You're just like me. What's so different about you? Folks, you might be thinking, well, listen, Pastor Bill, you're, you're just being way too harsh here. Apparently, you're just, you're just, you're out there on a limb because you're so excited because you're going to go bowling again this year. I don't know. Maybe your mind's in the gutter already. I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, Pastor, you don't get a possibility because you just don't know. Isn't that always the excuse? You don't know. I mean, if you knew what I was going through, you'd understand why I look hopeless half the time. Really? Well, maybe you should tell that to John Bunyan, our brother in Christ who if you know anything about his background, he was unjustly put in prison. I mean, I mean did, did he cry? Did he want, did he give up hope? Are you kidding me? While he was in prison, he wrote the Christian classic Pilgrim's Progress and that one book has encouraged millions of people to place their hope in God and he did it while he was unjustly put in prison. Or maybe you should tell that to Fanny Crosby. Listen, our sister in Christ who was made blind by a doctor's mistake. I mean, surely if there's anybody who's got a great excuse to bellyache before God, it's her, right? I mean, and so that's what she did. She just whined and cried and got mad at God for the rest of her life. Are you kidding me, folks? You know the story, hopefully. God used that one Christian woman, that one Christian woman and her blindness, listen, to open the hearts of millions of people. How? She wrote over 3,000 hymns of praise, inspiring millions to put their hope in God. Maybe she'd tell that to Paul and Silas who were put in jail for the gospel. 
I mean, surely they were just all upset with God. God, come on, we're out here. How could this happen? God, don't you know what you're doing? That's what they did. They whined and complained. They threatened to sue everybody. No. Read the story. It's in the Bible. What a concept. Starting to see a pattern here? What do you say? With their backs bloody and beaten, they put their hope in God. They praised God all night long from the tops of the lungs until an earthquake came and set them free. Woo! What a witness. Do you think people would get saved with Christians like that? Happens all the time. Why? Because their hope is in God. And when your hope is in God, listen, he knows what he's doing. You don't have to worry. You don't have to freak out and be afraid like the rest of the world. And when people see that, oh, can I have that too? But folks, I'm telling you, even more recently, you should tell that pessimistic attitude. I, you don't know my problems. You don't know how, but that's why I'm so hopeless. Tell it to this Christian woman. If anybody was ever going to give up hope, it's got to be her. And this is a true story, by the way. One morning in Southern California, a young hopeful Christian bride of less than a year received a knock at her apartment door and her husband had already left for work. So she was a little uneasy about opening the door, but she went ahead and did it anyway. And when she did, she saw a man standing in front of her that she'd never seen before. In fact, he seemed nervous and, and that un- increased her uneasiness. And, but, but then she simply asked, he simply asked about the location of the manager's apartment. And so she gave him the information and just promptly shut the door. But only a few minutes later, there came another knock. And so the young bride, cautious, but not cautious enough, opened the door again. And when she did, this time the long blade of the same man's knife pushed her back into the room. And then he locked the door, closed the drapes, and told her to completely disrobe. But at this very moment, this young Christian woman looked straight into the face of her would-be attacker with remarkable calmness and said, I am a Christian. The Lord Jesus Christ is watching over me right now, and he is not going to allow anything to happen to me that he doesn't want to occur. Well, at this, the man just stared at her with a blank look, completely dumbfounded, and she continued, Jesus Christ loves you. He wants to come into your life and become your Lord and Savior. And then she asked him this question. Listen, she says, have you ever had the gospel explained to you in a way that you can understand? And the man simply lowered his knife and said, no. Mm. And the woman said, well, please sit down. And for the next hour and a half, this young Christian woman discussed the claims of Christ with her would-be attacker. And when she did, she certainly learned, listen, he was new to the area. He had no friends. He had no money. He had no purpose. And he had, guess what? No hope in life. And so against all hope, this hopeful Christian in a seemingly hopeless situation led this hopeless man to the Lord of hope, Jesus Christ. The guy got saved. And here's my point. I don't know about you, but if, man, if there was ever a seemingly hopeless situation, that's got to rank up there uh, pretty high on the list, okay? Uh, but it didn't turn out that way, right? Why? Because, folks, we serve a God who is bigger than any situation. Old Testament, New Testament, hello, God is on the throne. Last time I checked, he created the whole universe, all of life, all of creation, and yet somehow your problem is too big for God. Excuse me? And that's what people realize in the scriptures that God can intervene. God can do anything. He's always on the throne. And because of that, it's a hope that he gives us that never disappoints. We don't have to freak out. No matter how bad things might be, God has promised, listen, he didn't say, I'm never going to let you go through a challenge. He didn't say that. He said, I am so powerful, though, that even when you face those challenges, even when you face those difficulties, that you will be given hope. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. I will not leave you hanging high and dry. You don't have to walk around like the rest of this world because you're my child and whom I love and whom you belong to me. I will take care of you and I will give you hope in the midst of that. There are no hopeless situations. Listen, there's only Christians who've given up hope. As long as God is on the throne and he's always on the throne, there is no reason to lose our hope. And I'm telling you folks, it, 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 the longer we live like this, it isn't just, well, okay, Pastor Billy, you got me. Even on this first point, we're, I'm, not, I'm not being a very good example of a body of hope. No, no, no. When we live like this, <laughs> like everybody else, can we just call it for what it is? You know what the impression we're giving people? Hey, come to Jesus. He's everything you need. So I've been trying to witness to you for five million years now, right? I mean, we say that. Hopefully we're witnessing. But the way we live our life like this, you know what we're doing? Hey, come to Jesus. Be a body of despair. Join the whiners. Huh? The complainers, the people who have no hope. Yeah, sign me up. No, it shoves them away. We're not a body of despair. We're a body of hope because we've forgotten that God gives us a stable life, right? Okay, now the second reason why we look so hopeless is we've forgotten about the light that is to come, okay? It's called a super afterlife. And it isn't just afterlife. Yeah, when I die, I just, I mean, think about this. Yeah, when I die, I go to heaven. <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? I don't even have time to go into a whole study about heaven. Are you, what? God not only takes care of us here, he takes care of us forever, all eternity, in a place beyond our wildest dreams. Yeah, that's something to get excited about. That's something, I don't care what I go through here, man, payday's coming. And when you realize that, man, there's always hope, right? I didn't say that, God did, right? 1 Corinthians 15, the great resurrection chapter, 16, 17, 19, Paul says, listen, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still under the condemnation for your sins. Right? In other words, you're still going to hell. Right? This whole forgiveness thing would be a pipe dream if Christ wasn't raised from the dead. And listen, if we hope in Christ, okay, if we have hope in Christ only for what? This life? Listen, we're the what? We are the most miserable people in the world. Now, let me break that down for you because it's very powerful, folks. The Bible says if all we hope for in life is basically this world, the things of this world, which, by the way, 1 John gives us a warning, do not love this world nor the things of this world. Otherwise, the love of the Father is not in you. That's called idolatry. And that is a sin, and God will not bless it. And then Paul says this, listen, if that's how you live, if all you do is just hope for this world, hope for this life, hope for this society, hope for the things that this life has to offer, listen, you, instead of putting your hope in what's to come, the super afterlife, being resurrected, being with Christ forever, it's what? What's gonna happen to you? You're gonna be the most miserable people on the planet. Now that's a goal in life, Right? Did you guys wake up this morning? Please say no. I haven't got to it yet, but please say no. Did you wake up this morning and go, I just can't wait? Yes. Man, I've been on this track record for several years now. Every day I've been getting up just like this, man. I can't wait to get up and another day and walk out there and be miserable. Yes. And then I hope to be a powerful witness to everybody around me, showing them how miserable I am in Christ. Ha, 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 ha. Now you know why I said please say no. 
But folks, that's, that's what's, what's he say there? If you get out of bed every day and your marching orders are what? Has nothing to do about God. You don't even think about heaven. Which Paul says what? Keep your mind on things above, not on this earth. Why? Because you get dragged down here, it'll suck you down, man. This world is a garbage can compared to where we're going. And so you got to remind yourselves that even though you're going to have difficulties, but God still gives you hope, that man, at least one day it's going to come to an end. No more sin, no more suffering, no more crying, no more mourning. And you know what? Whoa! I'm not miserable. I'm excited. I'm full of hope. But Paul says, listen, if you're down in the mouth, and I can't even get out of bed today. I don't even know. You know what that's a sign of? You've forgotten where you're going, Christian. You've forgotten what Christ won for you. He's given you a super afterlife. And so here's my point. I mean, we know this. We know that every day that's what the enemy's doing. He doesn't want us walking around with hope. That's a powerful witness, right? He doesn't want to have people see that in us, right? I mean, so we know that, listen, he's going to always try to get our mind on this world and the things of this world and talk about the world and act like the world. And we know that, right? Well, you think so, but again, we got problems. You go to the average church service today, what do you see? You don't see Christians praising God that they're going to heaven for all eternity. You see them offering up prayer requests for the Dow Jones report and a good economy. Why? Because that's where your heart is. You're more concerned about a good economy than your place in eternity, let alone witnessing to the people who don't know Christ who are in danger of going to hell for all eternity. You're more concerned, oh God, please turn the economy around. I don't know if you guys ever saw this. But it was the previous election that you had so-called Christians at Wall Street. They had this big giant bull, right? I guess it symbolized the bull market. These so-called Christian leaders gathered around and put their hands on that bull to pray for God's blessing on the economy. Made me want to sick. You know what that made me think of personally? Exodus. Didn't they get in trouble with the cow back then? But what is that telling you? You're more con- you weren't there saying, God, please save these people who work at Wall Street, who are lost, who are headed straight to hell, who their only world, their hope is in the finances and money and things and this whole wicked world system. God, help us when we go in there that we're going to be a positive, hopeful witness for Jesus Christ. No! Place your hand on the cow and ask for God's blessing. Just as miserable as the rest of the world. But folks, that's what's going on. And you think, again, Pastor Billy, see, again, you, you're being unrealistic again. You just don't understand, okay? Uh, I mean, it's obvious you don't understand my concerns in life, okay? I mean, if you saw how much time and work it takes to keep what little I got, then you'd understand why I look so hopeless half the time. Really? People, what did our text say? If our only hope is to store up treasures in this life, that's all you're focused on, then you are guaranteed 100% of the time, what kind of a life? Miserable. You're gonna walk around and you're gonna be miserable. Why? Because nothing on this earth is guaranteed to last. Only heaven is. You want some security? It ain't in the stock market. It ain't in the bank account. It ain't in the finances. You want security? It's in the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus Christ. It's in your guaranteed reality with heaven. You want some riches? Hey, listen, man, when we get to heaven, we're gonna be walking streets of gold. The foundations are made with precious gems. You talk about rich, nobody's richer than the Christian. We just haven't got our inheritance in full yet. Oh, it's guaranteed. It's eternal. It's coming. One day, payday is coming from Christ as a gift. Folks, unfortunately, we place all of our concerns, listen, 
in a place that is destined to perish. And you do that, you know what's going to happen? You're going to lose your hope. Your hope will perish too. Even non-Christians know this. How goofy it is to put your hope in something that is destined to be destroyed. I shared this before, but man, this is the best way I've ever found to put this unfortunate behavior. Recently, a man who had spent many summers in Maine, he was fascinated by his companions who told about their experiences in a little town named Flagstaff in Maine. Don, did you go there? In there, little Flagstaff? Okay. Anyway, so the town was, uh, was going to be flooded. The whole town was going to be flooded because it was a part of a large lake for which the dam was to be built. Okay? And because of this, in the months before it was to be flooded, all improvements and repairs in the whole town were stopped. I mean, what was the use of painting the house, even though it needed painting? But what was the use in painting the house if it was going to be covered with water in six months? In fact, why repair anything when the whole town was going to be wiped out? So true story, week after week, the whole town became more and more focused on their new location and began to invest their lives in that. Why? Because they clearly understood it was a complete waste of time and money to secure your life in that which was soon to be destroyed. You wonder why John says, don't love this world or the things of this world. Otherwise, the love of the Father is not in you. Yes, it shows that your heart is committing idolatry. You're more concerned about this world and the things of this world instead of the one who made the world. Yes, that's a heart issue. Number two, it's a sin. And listen, it's absolutely futile. Read the Bible. This is what's goofy about the people think, the climate change, climate change. You got to save the planet, save the planet. Well, first of all, you guys realize that they changed the term uh, climate change, that changes that from global warming. You realize why? Because the evidence is it's not really warming, like what they're saying. So they picked an innocuous term, climate change, so that you can't say, well, it's not hot or it's not cold. Do you realize that? It's a lie, okay? And then it's not only a lie, it's goofy. Because last time I checked, if you're going to get freaked out about climate change, you should be doing that 100 times a day. Because last time I checked, the climate changes every day. But that lie is to get you and I to go on with this one world government system, which is a lie, to suck us in and create a one world religion because now we've all got to work together and compromise our belief systems and come under the headship of a a universal government who is now going to save the planet. Here comes your concept again. Read the Bible. (laughs) You think you're going to save the planet? Read the book of Revelation. Watch what God does to this planet. He's going to tear it up. <laughs> you ain't going to save this planet. Are you kidding me? Now, and then, but the good news is he's going to renovate it to Garden of Eden-like conditions in the millennial kingdom. Mm, but he's still not done yet. Then there's going to be a final rebellion and God's going to really thrash it this time. Right? All your efforts at recycling will go down the tubes. Right? Peter says he's going to literally, the elements will melt with the heat. Literally in the Greek, it's the idea that the very atomic structure of not only the earth, but the whole universe goes into a flaming fireball. That's really what it says. And then comes the new heaven and the new earth that only the people of God get to enjoy. But can you imagine how goofy it is? I mean, God's watching all this. And we're down here. He's promised us streets of gold. And this planet's going to be thrashed not once, but two times. One time completely in a ball of flame. And people actually think you're going to save the planet. But not only that, I could see the world doing that because they don't know Christ. 
But you and I, knowing that this planet is going to go up into a flaming fireball, we spend all of our time, all of our effort, all of our energy into something that's going to burn up. Then you wonder why in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, hey man, man, on that Bama judgment day, not judgment for salvation, but rewards. He says, some people are gonna get there with smoke coming off their back ends. Remember what he said? That's what he says there. In essence, he says, your work's gonna be tried. The time you spent here on earth, Christian, salvation's already taken care of. He's talking about rewards. But your time here on earth, what you did for Christ by his spirit, some of it's gonna be wood, hay, stubble. What's that gonna be? That's gonna be burned up, Right? And it says there, and he, if that's how you lived, he says he himself will make it, listen, because it's by the cross of Christ we make it, amen? But it says there only as one who escaped the flames. In other words, you, got, you arrived there with smoke coming off. Whoa. And I don't know about you, but I want to get to heaven with something more than, here, Jesus, have some smoke. That's what he's saying. But you live like that? That's not just a rotten witness. Like those people back in that town. Why would you do that? No, I'm not saying be irresponsible. And men, don't you dare go home. Honey, come over here. Give me that honeydew jar. We need to smash this and throw it into the trash. I'm free. Freedom. No, I'm not saying be irresponsible. But you need to check your heart. What are you living for? And for this world, man, you are wasting your time. And you know what? You keep living like that and you put your hope in this world. That's not only futile and dumb. That's hopeless. Because you know what? Money comes and money goes. The economy goes up. It's going to crash again if if we're still alive in here. Sorry to burst your bubble. Pun intended. Right? Your health is going to go up. Your health is going to go down. Might have a house one minute. Might lose the next. Might have a car this. Might lose the next. But when you hope in God and you realize that one day our bodies are finally working like they're supposed to again, always to the max, we're walking streets of gold, no more sin, all of our relationships, every ounce of every single day is always awesome 100% of the time and nobody can take it away and it could happen today. Whoa! That's hope. And that's what the world is waiting to see. The third reason that we're going to close after this, why do we look so hopeless? Is because of this. We've forgotten that we've been giving second chances in life. Now this is important because the enemy will come in on here when you mess it up, Christian, after being saved. The enemy will try to get you into false condemnation thinking that you, you have no hope, that God can't use you. He doesn't love, that's not what the scripture says right? Read the Bible. Again, what a concept. Let's take a look at one of the fantastic ministries of Jesus for us. Hebrews 6, 19 through 20. We have this what? This hope. And it's not just hope. What is this thing? This particular hope, it's an anchor for your soul. No matter what your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions is going over here and you're being tossed over here and the world's doing this and you're going through high times, low times. This particular hope, man, this thing's an anchor. You're going to be stable with this one, firm and secure. Well, what is this hope? Well, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He's become a what? He's become a high priest for how long? Forever in the order of Melchizedek. 
The Bible tells us, folks, that one of the most incredible things about the ministry of Jesus was not that he went to the cross, listen, to forgive most of our sins. It wasn't that he went to the cross to forgive us uh, just up to the day that you cried out to him. uh, He'll forgive you of those sins. Up to that point, the rest is on your shoulders. He didn't say that. He came to be not just a high priest, but a forever high priest that all of our sins are forgiven again and again and again. Now, positionally, it's already done. But practically, from our point, as we live it out, you sin, it's forgiven. You sin, it's forgiven. You sin, it's forgiven. And it just doesn't stop. It goes on forever until the day you walk into heaven. Now, that is a hope. You know, in fact, that's such a hope that I'm anchored. I'm firm and secure in Christ, man. Nobody can move me. Why? Because we're always guaranteed second chances in Christ. He doesn't say, well, that's it. You really blew it that time. Get away from me. He'll never say that. The Bible says, God says, he will never leave us nor forsake us. We talked about this uh, a long time ago, but I remember the first time in my Greek studies and I blew that text apart there also in Hebrews that God will never leave us nor forsake us that he's quoting another passage of scripture. Okay, it's actually a double negative followed by a triple negative. Let's just close in prayer. No, let me explain to you because you have no idea what I'm talking about. It, it, it blew me away. You know what? It, it's literally saying there in the Greek because of the Greek rules. Here's what that text is really saying. Talk about being emphatic from God. I will never, I will never leave you. I will never, I will never, I will absolutely don't even ever let it even enter to your brain. I will never forsake you. That's what it says. And again, when God repeats something in scripture, what's it there for? Emphasis. He's not just holy, he's what? He's holy, he's holy, he's holy. And so here God says, not just once, not just twice, but five times. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You're my child. And even when you blow it, do you not understand what my son did for you? He's your forever high priest and your sins are forgiven again and again and again and it never stops. Wow. Now that's amazing. And so surely that's what we do. I mean, we, we not only experience that, but we couple this with Ephesians chapter four, right? Where Paul clearly says that we as Christians, we forgive one another. Why? Just as in Christ, what? God has forgiven us. How much has God forgiven us? All of it. And it just never ends. It's awesome, right? So he says, of course. So we've been the recipient of that forgiveness. So we distribute that to each other. Woo-hoo! Because I don't know if you noticed this or not, but if you've been in the church long enough, somebody's going to do something that you don't like. And I'm talking more serious, believe it or not, than they sat in my pew. <laughs> no, I'm talking about they may even say something about you that hurts you. Maybe they sin with their mouth. Maybe they, who knows what? But we who have been forgiven so much, a mark of a true Christian is guess what? You forgive as well. And so surely we know this. I mean, this is, we've got that hope that God gives us endless second chances through Christ, our forever high priest, and that's what we distribute to each other, right? We never shun each other because we know Jesus will never shun us. Unfortunately, that's not true. You don't see the family of God accepting each other no matter what they've done. You see them gossiping, shunning each other until kingdom come. 
But you might think of passibility. Again, you, you just don't get the context here. You're just being way too liberal. I mean, come on. It's obvious you don't know this person like I do. I mean, if only you knew their background and know what I know, you know, you know what? I could give a rip what you know. Because the scripture says, listen, it's obviously one thing you don't know is what it means to be a Christian. One of the greatest God-given hopes in life is not only being given a stable afterlife and a super afterlife and a stable life, but it's an endless supply of second chances of life. That's why the Bible says this is an anchor for your soul. But listen, what better hope is there for an unloving, for unforgiving world to know that at least in the church, when you make a mistake, and you own up to it, by the way, don't just say, oh, you got to, no, you need to own up to it. But at least in the church, they won't shun you. Because Christ never shuns them. I mean, see, the world, that's what the world does. Dog eat dog. You smash me, I'll smash you right back. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But not the church. Unfortunately, folks, that's not the case. We don't accept each other. No matter who we are, what we've done. And it destroys people's hope. And it's also called hypocrisy because we've been forgiven myself even after being saved of so much sin. True story. Watch what this church did to this girl. Guy said, I was a pastor of a church when I was a young man and I remember going to visit a a young woman who was pregnant out of wedlock. And when I got to her house, there, it it just seemed like God's spirit was moving already. And I stepped into that living room and I, I, I just felt like this, it, this was the time. The spirit of God is, it was moving on that woman. And, and so when I laid out the plan of salvation, not so surprisingly, she responded. She gave her life to Jesus Christ. And the next Sunday she came to church services. And she came to the Sunday after that. And after that, and after that, for about a month and a half, then all of a sudden she stopped coming. So when I went to see her, I said, well, what's wrong? Listen, he said, she said, I can't come to your church services anymore, pastor. I said, well, why? She said, listen, because I feel guilty and dirty and filthy in your congregation. I said, well, Jesus has forgiven you. Jesus has forgotten. He's blotted out your sin. And he said, I'll never forget what she said to me. She said, Jesus may have forgiven and Jesus may have forgotten, but the people in that congregation, they haven't forgiven and they haven't forgotten. And so it is with the unfortunate ultimate hypocrisy that we in the church actually have the capacity to make people feel guilty long after Jesus has forgiven them Mm. you know that church wasn't just being a it didn't just okay all right yeah we're not being a body of hope shucks no, you're being a body of hypocrites. I've said this for years, and I've learned this in my own self. You are never more like Christ than when you forgive, even your enemy. Because what were we before we got saved? Once again, the concept, read the Bible. While we were still sinners, while we were ungodly, while we were God's enemies, Romans 5, Christ died for us. And yet you won't do the same in kind to somebody who 
admits. Wow. That's a body of hypocrites. And it didn't just affect that church and their walk with Christ. What did it do? It destroyed that girl. It kept her from walking in what is right there for every Christian. You could walk in hope with Christ. That even when you make mistakes, listen, again and again and again and again and again. He, he, he forgives it. We need to emulate that. The facts are people need to see the biblical truth in us that no matter who you are, what you've done, what sins you've committed, that there is always hope in Christ and you just need to come home and be a part of the family. Like this guy shares. Watch this. This woman made her living outside of Rio de Janeiro. She was very poor, dirt floor house, and her greatest fear was that she had a beautiful, beautiful daughter. And she knew that one day her daughter would leave that house and go to Rio de Janeiro to try to make a better life. And she knew what would happen to her daughter if she went there. One day the woman came home and her daughter was gone. There was a note on the table that said, I've gone to Rio to find a life. The mother knew what would happen. She took all the money that she had, she bought a bus ticket to Rio de Janeiro, and then she went into a little photo shop, a photo booth, and she spent a great deal of her money, the mother did, just making pictures of herself. And then the mother went to Rio de Janeiro and spent months there. She looked in every hotel, every restaurant, every uh, movie house, all the discotheques, everywhere she looked. And everywhere she went, she left a picture of her face. Finally, she ran out of money and she went home. One night, her daughter was coming down the stairs of a hotel. And she was with a man. She had become a prostitute. She looked like she had aged 15 years. And as she's coming down the stairs, she feels like she's going to die. But she looks over in the mirror and she sees how she's aged. And then something catches her eye. She sees a picture of her mother. She grabs it. She can't believe it. And she turns it over. And on the back, she read this. I do not care what you have become. And I do not care what you have done. Please come home. I know all about the sovereignty of God, about the great confessions, and I embrace them all. I know about election and predestination and all those things I believe. But at the same time, when I look in the New Testament, this is what I hear God saying. I don't care what you've become. And I don't care what you've done. My son has paid for it all on the cross. Now come home. Some of you young people out here, you are going to ruin your life. Some of you adults bear scars that will never be removed because of the sin in your life. And some of you, the only thing you've ever seen of Christianity is a dead religion. But I serve a living God who has sent us a living Savior. And He calls all men to turn from their sin and come back to Him. And those who come to Him, He will not cast out. Trust in Christ. He is such a Savior. He's mighty to save. Don't let anything stand between you and coming to know Him. Including, unfortunately, hypocritical churches who refuse to forgive. Just as in Christ, God has forgiven them. 
Hypocrisy drives people away from the gospel of Christ. And you know, at Jesus' first coming, there was a group of hypocrites that he had choice words for. You brood of vipers. You bag of dead men's bones. You religious hypocrites. You know who they were called? Pharisees. And my thing is this. If Jesus didn't, oh, and if you read the Bible, what a context. You'll see that when he called them out, he used exclamation points. So Jesus got loud and he rebuked these hypocrites. And if he didn't like it in the first coming, do you think he likes it today? I don't think so. When people come into our midst, not just in church services, but everywhere we go in this world as the church, they need to see and hear in us that, listen, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter what your background is, in Christ, you've always got a home. So just come home, will you? That's what they need to see from us. Not a bunch of hypocrites. And that's why I'll say it again, folks. If we can't stop playing church instead of being the church, then maybe it's time you get out of the church. Why? Because being a Christian is not a game. What we say, what we do, literally affects the eternal destinies of people around us. And so it's high time we get rid of this practical amnesia. We've got to remember who we are. We are not a bunch of hopeless hypocrites. We're the body of Christ. We're a body of hope. That's what people need to see. Amen? Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. 
And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judge has said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day.
Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.